You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, I'm really excited today to do kind of a passion recap. So we're joined by Davis Cornegay, Jeremy Bagwell, Rusty Anderson, and Corey Edwards. And we're just going to kind of go around the horn and talk about each of our worlds in terms of audio, video, and lighting slash visuals, and uh, just kind of give you guys a behind the scenes perspective on what was in the room, what was there, you know, some of the goals and strategy behind the design, and then what it took to execute and whatever else comes up. So guys, thanks so much for being here. I can't wait to talk about Passion 24. Yeah, so excited to be here. Thanks for having us, Jeff. It was, a, it was an awesome few days. It's a great team to get to do it with, too. Not everybody. Nobody, talk nothing. At once. Come on, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's great. Well, before we jump into specifics, I want to give a huge shout out to Ian Cattle and the team from Black and White Live. Ian and Tim and Katie Green and Michelle Jones and the rest of their team do such a massive job in coordinating all of us and booking the logistics and handling the labor and the local stagehands and production coordination in general. Ian's experience with international events and tours do it all. Um, helped us with the world tour events back in 2008, 10, 12, etc. And they've been a part of Passion Conference for at least 15 years now. Wow. And we could not do Passion without Black and White Live. So huge shout out to Ian and his team. Once again, amazing, amazing job. So let's start with Davis, because Davis, you were kind of managing a lot of the design elements and the visuals, and you were in on the sort of strategic plan from the very beginning in terms of what would make this conference different from other years. So side note for me, this was my 20th passion, and wow. that's, that's not including any of the world tour events and any other things that I've done passion related, but as far as passion conference, this was my 20th year. So it was a very significant thing for me. And I feel like, you know, I was, I was telling you guys before we started recording, I mean, this for me was top five ever, maybe top three in terms of how the vision and the kind of goals met the results in a way that I feel like it, it, it's hard to describe how well the way things were described to me actually came off. And I think that has a lot to do with the team, obviously, but Davis, you know, in the, in the planning and the strategy and sort of the design, there had to be things that you saw in your head that you were really gratified at how they came off. So talk for a few minutes, just about kind of the last year and leading up to what the design ended up being and how we got to where we got. Yeah, so we had uh, Passion 2023 um, in January of 2023, obviously, and coming off the tail end of that, there was just like a big, I think, transition in what the church was experiencing at the time when it came to production, the use of like lighting and LED walls and just the Asbury stuff was happening in our nation. And that was really heavy on Louis's heart. So even from the very initial bit of what dreaming of what Passion 2024 could be, Louis's heart was that it would just be something where we would have production, but it would be used in a way that felt like we were creating a space the whole time. And it didn't feel like Coachella. It didn't feel like this sensory overload in a way, but we had those high production moments, but it felt very tasteful. And it felt like we were creating a place for each of the attendees to attend. 
So that kind of um, pointed our ship in the direction of creating something that felt very geometric in a way, but also using a lot of natural. Um, if you, when you look at the visuals for Passion Music and a lot of the other artists, there's like a lot of um, natural elements like concrete, um, steel, wood. Um, the cross was like this marble texture. Like so there's just like this undertone of natural um, mixed with all this digital. So when teaming up with Nathan Taylor in around um, like March, April, we put together some mood boards and just trying to figure out what that could be. And we were just leaning towards a lot of the fashion show style, like just a lot of these different textures and things like that. Um, but the design really came out in around um, June, kind of where we kind of landed on what we wanted to do. Um, but where we ended up was like revision 12 of that initial concept, just factoring in all the, you know, the technical aspects and just what could be accomplished in the load in time um, this year. Cause one of our primary goals was to make sure we could actually load in the show, get a chance to look at things and refine stuff before we actually got to our first session, which I think was, was really great. But well, and just, from I a, think, let me just say from a team perspective, yeah. it was awesome to have an extra day of load in this year. Unlike other years where we would have, you know, either a bowl game or a concert or something else in the venue that limited our availability of time. You know, we would have to load in maybe starting at midnight and then load in overnight and have somewhat of a sound check slash rehearsal, but then be, you know, session one the next night, you know, literally a 24 hour time frame. Whereas this year we had a whole day to get motors and most of the rig up before the PA went up and before rehearsals. I mean, it was just, everybody felt like they had a chance to breathe and actually take it all in and really kind of prepare in a better way than we've been able to do in some years past, just because of the function of time. So I think going into it, going into the first session, everybody felt like, okay, we're ready. Like this isn't session one is not like a dress rehearsal for the rest of the conference session one we're actually ready to do this. And there was a, just an ease and a comfortability that I felt at front of house from everybody. Yep. And it was, it was awesome. So let's glad, do that. I'm again. glad you felt that. Let's... I did not feel that we can get there later, <laughs> but I'm glad. I'm, I'm oh, happy. No, Rusty. Love oh, no. that for you, Jeff. Love that. Okay, good. Well, i you know, there were other years where <laughs> I felt the complete opposite of that. For so sure. it was, it was refreshing for me. Well, sorry to interrupt you, Davis. Keep going. No, no, I think, the having the load in time really changed the way people getting sleep and stuff like that. So I think by the time we got to the bins and we got out of previs, being able to actually see stuff in the venue is super helpful. So yeah, I think, you know, when executing the design, you know, good. So for people who've seen it online or have seen clips, one of the biggest sort of wow factors for the design was this massive 3d cube led kind of, centerpiece of the set design. So talk for a minute about that. Like what, what was it comprised of? How did you have to sort of change the visual design in order to accommodate that sort of 3d look? Um, it was really compelling. And you know, it's funny, what struck me was most of the time when you go to a big show, the best way to kind of experience it is from the center of the room, because you've got these sort of visuals coming at you and it's designed to be sort of seen from the front. I felt like at Passion this year, 
the best seat was almost at a 45 or a 90 degree to the stage because you got to see the depth and experience the sort of the scale of the 3D elements in a way that is different than most experiences people have had. So talk about the intentionality behind that and just some of the elements that go into that 3D mindset. Yeah, um, it was this, the design that we ended up with was like a ninth, like in the 12th hour, like midnight kind of moment because we were up a bunch of different limitations with the structure, um, rigging, finding enough LED product, um, also budget. And just like we were at the point where we had to make a decision whether like this was going to be the design or we're going to have to cut the box, reimagine the box or redo the design. And Nathan, in a matter of like less than 24 hours, like redid the whole design and came up with what we had um, at that while he was working another show. So it's actually crazy experience um but the original concept was um this sort of like this giant low res wall and then a much smaller box in front of it um they kind of felt like we would have like all these like nature style scapes behind it and they would have this box in front of it that would be kind of glass sort of like this like in nature exists this architectural piece that you could wrap in different things but with budget limitations and also the structure and how high the cranes could go and finding enough LED product, the way the rigging and the chains for the roof was going to have to play. Um, Nathan kind of reimagined it all as one giant structure. Um, and this was in like the very beginning of November is when this whole oh, wow. thing flipped on its edge. So we didn't even have rasters to content creators. Artists didn't have rasters to create their content. Like it was a bit of a, a push and a pivot very last minute. Um, but we ended up getting um, this. So the back wall that you see with the two wings and the center of the box was a low res product. And it was a 12 mil um, Sacco product from Nighthawk. And then the actual cube itself um, was a nine mil product that was not blow through. So you sort of got these two different uh, pixel densities, which created a cool texture difference, which you can tell and not tell in some moments, but it's really helpful. Um, for the blow through elements with the lighting that we had behind the upstage wall. Mm -hmm. And then the box itself is about 32 feet deep. And when they were doing this roof and to see that roof, just like pivot, it was, it was kind of scary, but obviously very controlled. It's kind of fascinating. And because the whole thing's ground supported. So you're kind of like, it just feels weird when you're standing there. Um, <laughs> but then we had this led floor <laughs> that was built on scaffolding and this like scaffolding kind of thing. So they basically built scaffolding and put like two by fours across it. And then they just laid the LED panels on it. So not the most like high tech thing, but like it looked really great. Um, and then within the box itself, we had a stage lift where the band could go up and down, which was helpful for trade stage transitions. Cause yeah. when we first pitched the design, we didn't know how we were going to do the band stuff because that piece inside the box didn't exist. And there was no way to fork um, anything onto the stage. There was no like roundabout entrances to push risers on. So um, the right, the deck inside the cube sort of came out of that necessity of needing a way to do these quick transitions during speakers and hosting elements to um, get us through all the different talent. So that's cool. Yeah. Cool. So for people who watched online and wondered the magic trick of getting one band off stage and the next band on stage for sessions where you had two sets of musicians, that's how it happened. Basically the, the stage deck, that the back line was on, we called it the A stage, basically lowered and raised accordingly so that bands could get on and off. And it, it worked seamlessly. It was really cool. 
Um, that's great. So what about, um, just staying with video for a second, what about like servers and content and all the infrastructure behind what it takes to get that massive amount of content up on those walls? Yeah. So doing the initial, um, like creative, we were leaning heavily on notch again this year and creating all these 3d scapes that had all the virtual lighting in it. Um, which is kind of cool. Um, but we basically had the uh, disguised GX threes on the show. And then we had a couple of GX twos as well for like understudies and directors. So that was all backstage. Um, and then we had like KVMs in front of house for the team, but we had um, Jonathan Leosi and a couple of other server guys where they're managing that. So, and then they tied in with Nighthawk backstage. So it's pretty cool. I and mean, it wasn't a math, like the, because of the pixel density of the wall, like the, the total escape was four, like was a 4k raster. So it wasn't, huge as it has been in the past just because of the pixel density but it actually was really beneficial because it actually became very much more manageable on the server programming side you're not having to manage so many pixels and like mess with like different um i guess how you would downscale the content to fit if you had a super high res wall that's very that makes sense Yeah. yeah that's great well we'll get back to you later i'm sure about some other questions but let's just kind of move around the horn so Jeremy Bagwell is here with us, and uh, Jeremy, you were kind of on the engineering team, helping out with comm and other things, so yeah. talk for a minute about your role and all that you guys had to manage on that side. Yeah, so I, I was primarily uh, the intercom team. Uh, I wasn't. I was part of the intercom team, um, but also engaged with a couple of guys that were on the engineering team. It's kind of interesting. Obviously, there's all these vendors that come in and um make the show happen so audio video lighting there's a video truck there's obviously a audio uh vendor as well providing consoles and desks and systems but we have a independent uh, engineering team that passion chooses um which is comprised of some guys who really help do engineering at their place on sundays um and then intercom team is a separate team and we come in because intercom is like really challenging when we're trying to like get, I don't know, a hundred people or more all talking on comm at the same time. Um, yeah. So we come in and really help dial in the intercom systems. We uh, load in um, the intercom system just for uh, the event. So there's nothing you, nothing that the bins owns or anything like that. Um, so my role really was with the intercom team, making sure everybody could hear who they need to hear uh, making sure systems were working. And then um, Jeremy Lamori was our intercom team lead, who obviously he's an intercom genius um, and he knows how to make crap happen. Uh, so it was really fun to be able to put that part together um, and help teach people how to like appropriately use intercom. Because I think there's a lot yeah. of times in our church world, particularly, uh, we don't really use intercom in the most polite or our intercom etiquette is not the best so uh helping people understand how to do that what are some examples of bad intercom i etiquette? am the worst yeah you can just probably replay my comm channel back <laughs> like what's he doing <laughs> uh I there's um intercom etiquette would be like the amount of words you use when you try to talk and like understand like when you say something it's going to like 
uh, potentially put something else in motion. So being very clear about like, okay, when I press this button, who does it talk to? And when I talk, who hears me? And there's a lot of times that uh, a show can get sideways when some, the operator is not thinking through the full you know, scope of that. Um, and we're there to help like, you know, like Greg Dozal's producing the show and he has to have a show call button that like he can talk to all the people that make a moment move, right? Three, yep. two, one, go, boom. And, um, and we're like, Hey, if you don't hear what you need to hear in a moment and you miss something, let us know so we can get you into the right groups or party line or whatever it may be, you know, so that you can hear who you need to hear. So it's a constant like dialing in of that. But at the same time, you don't want an operator like graphics operator doesn't need to hear every single thing that Greg says needs to hear the right moments, at the right time. So the, our team is there to help make sure, Hey, we want you to hear what you need to hear, but we don't want you to hear too much. Um, and then having those conversations. Um, so yeah, a lot goes into it. Game structure. All that your four channel party line. Correct. That most yes. Have, yeah. Just, yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. yeah you've got, I have a, I have a question though okay. about this. Comp. Okay. This is just completely off. Book. So is there some kind of listening thing where you guys can hear keywords or something? Because I'd be like, I wish I had a button. Someone would come and be like, would you like a button? Uh, I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, a little big voice. brother, big brother moment. Our, yeah, I was like, what's happening? Our, so uh, there's a few key people in key positions that you can listen to from an administrative standpoint. Because basically, it's not going to happen in any normal install of like a Redo system. But in a large scale install like this, you, we actually want to listen to most of the leads because we got to go so f fast, so quickly, and we want you to be able to have who you need to have. And for us to be able to hear like, hey, why isn't so-and-so hearing me? Or why isn't this hearing me? We can like actually solve problems engineering-wise um, without you guys having to really dive in and be like, hold on, let's stop, run through. I need to figure this out. You know, it's a way for us to stay ahead. So Davis, a note for next time. Yeah. Someone yeah, is like, always listening. That, that is very true. That is <laughs> because I, yeah. I was holding a pack and you spun around in front of yeah. house at one moment. You're like, you don't have access. Yeah, to yeah. Oh, yeah. Somehow he I know. Me. I was like, I'm not sure exactly how I heard Davis in that moment. And I turned around and I was like, yeah, that's who said that. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, that's great. yeah, there's some I of those apologize. things. Yeah. That are happening. So Jeremy, for, for people who are curious, like just to the best of your recollection, you know, obviously it was a Riedel system, yeah. but how many base stations, how many headsets, how many groups, like, yeah, how, like what's the scale of what we're talking so about? So we're, we did 65 wireless intercom packs. So uh, Riedel makes Bolero, which is their wireless intercom system. So we did 65 uh, wireless packs, uh, 25 antennas uh, distributed, uh, distributed all over the facility. Um, I'll talk more about that in a minute. And then we did, I think, 40... 30 or 40 um, hard panels uh, in you know, front of people. So there's some people that obviously had a wired pack and a panel. Um, yep. So that like for Rusty, when he's at the truck, he had a panel, but he had a wired uh, wireless pack. So when he could go into the room, he could also talk to camera ops and things like that. So those are some of those like nice to have uh, things. Um, the trickiest part of all the things is the RF coordination, wireless frequency stuff. So. Yep. Uh, with 25 antennas, they have like a very specific um, like frequency range that Riedel's developed on their own. Um, that this is like free to operate in the, in North America. 
Um, but we, what I've learned about uh, RF is that it bounces around all this concrete structure like crazy. So if you don't have a really good RF engineer and really good distribution, you're going to get screwed at some point. So um, we did these cool things uh, where the antennas are omnidirectional, but we put some fabric behind them to actually make them not omnidirectional. So it doesn't hmm. get uh, the bounce back frequencies coming from like concrete walls and stuff like that. It really helped manage the load of all these 65 belt packs across the 25 antennas so that you weren't jamming one or two or five really cool. antennas. So yeah, I learned a lot. It was, it's, it's really wild at that scale. And we all know that RF doesn't really like metal very much at right. all. So you're in this massive steel structure yep. with, you know, you've got, what's the distance from the truck to the lighting console at front of yeah, house. Forever. I mean, it's obviously the hundred yards of the field plus yep. another 50 yards to get to the truck and another, yep. you know, 50 yards plus to get to or hundred yards to get to where Davis is. So yep. it's just a massive amount of space that you're trying to, Yep. cover and make sure that there isn't dropout and that people aren't yep. going crazy because of interference and all that. So yep. man, what a, what an awesome job. Yep. I'm so glad I was not on that team. Well, you would not want me to be a part of coordinating any of that. Right. And then <laughs> another thing about like, even us just, uh, at the scale, like listening in is like stage managers were responsible for making the lift go up and down. And so once you move something up and down in a production, there's like potential for like disasters, to, an injury mm -hmm. to happen and so for us we wanted to make sure the stage managers were able to hear like if when a stage man lead stage manager talks we want to be able to hear what their audio quality sounds like because we want them to make sure like oh they're moving the lift now everybody's clear like if that audio is not intelligible then somebody could get hurt so yeah our job totally. is to make sure that's happening 100 percent of the time that's a great point yeah so you started your uh, rundown talking about etiquette. Yep. So when you were delivering a headset to a volunteer door holder from the church who's never done anything at this scale, maybe yep. they're a you know assistant stage manager or whatever, and you're handing them a wireless pack, what are you telling them that somebody at a local church could learn from mm. to go? This is how you like Com One Hundred One. This is yep. how you talk, how you listen when to speak, what to say, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's, um, for me, it's like, hey, make sure your mic is in front of your face. Um, you know, <laughs> That's good advice for everybody yeah. in audio. Yeah, and then uh, understand what your buttons do. Like if you press and hold this button, then uh, it does a certain function. If you just press and release, it does a certain function. Um, and then most of the time, I'm, I just say like, hey, who do you need to hear from? Who's calling what you need to do? Like, what? who's the most important people in the world that you're executing? And so, okay, cool. Um, there's a clear comm is very different than Riedel. And so people would be like, hey, how can I listen to the producer? How can I listen? I was like, well, that, that doesn't, that option does not exist in this way. But we, we can make sure that when you hear somebody talk in your ears, they're going to be intentionally talking to you. And so they're like, oh, okay, cool. Got it. Like, uh, so that's some of the things to be thinking about is like, hey, who do I not need to hear from and who do I need to hear from? And I think a lot of times we choose to listen to people uh, that we probably don't need to listen to. Yeah, just because you want to hear everything yeah. doesn't mean that you have to hear everything right. or should hear everything. It's really just a, hey, you got you to leave your preferences aside yep. here at some point and you're only going to hear what you have to hear. Right. So, sorry. Yep. Yep. That's good. 
All right. Well, we'll we'll get back to some of this later, I'm sure. Cool. But let's move on to Rusty. Let's talk about Video World. Um, I'm sure everybody's curious about cameras and gear and switchers and all the scale of everything it took to pull off your world. So just dig into that for a minute. Yeah. So um, I would say this is this was actually my 17th conference, Jeff. So I'm actually catching up to you, getting older. Um, but it was my, I think I was figuring out my 13th or 12th in a row, I think in a truck or fly pack scenario. So and how many of those um, 17 were as a student for you? Two as a student, okay. two as a camera op, well, three as a camera op. And then the rest have all been director. That's awesome. Um, of some sort. So yeah, so this many years in a row, kind of like overseeing the cameras and stuff. And for, we've been on a journey now, I would say for about, I don't know, four or five years of trying to push the envelope for video for our cameras and you know everybody else in the world is moving towards cinematic and super 35 sensors and so we're trying to do that on a large scale which is just not that easy there's not that many trucks out there that can do a show of this size with this many cameras and this kind of engineering with that kind of look um, but this year we're actually finally able to do part of it so that was something which i was super excited about heading into conference this year we partnered with tndv again um to be our main uh, video camera provider and engineering side of things. Um, and then we had a combination of five, they're all Sony cameras, um, but a, we have a, a, an awesome kind of mix, five broadcast standard, you know, cameras that are um, two thirds inch sensors. We had six of the new Sony F5500s, which are super 35 sensors inside a broadcast body. So it looks like a broadcast camera, but inside it has different, different sensor, different guts. And then we actually had four um, F55, Sony F55s, which are more of like a, a film camera body. Um, doesn't have any of that kind of built-in engineering stuff that we expect in a uh, sports or live entertainment. Um, so they were, they were able to mix all those different cameras and make them look pretty cohesive. I would say they look pretty, pretty standard across the board. Um, and so we were able to get, especially with a lot of our closer cameras, get that really shallow depth of field, um, mm -hmm. rich colors. Uh, so I think if you watch the broadcast, I, like to me, I could tell a, a massive difference in how things looked, uh, making Davis's lighting kind of you know pop and shine and shadows just look better and all that kind of stuff. Highlights didn't blow out as quick. So for the nerd part of me, loved that. I think it's going to look awesome. As um, It looked great. And I think as they start editing some of the music video stuff, it should look um miles better than it has in the past because part of that also was uh we actually the whole show was 1080 um what we're sitting we we're sending three different signals to the media servers for imag in the room and then davis's team and lousy's team could put that on different the different services they wanted to put that on um but all that was in a 1080 ended up being 1080 2997 psf because of a quirk little sony thing that i learned that certain sony cameras can't do progressive at 2997 so they had to do psf um, but then we were also able to record 4k, uh, with like a log color profile for the editors. So all that to say editors are now working with 4k footage that has a super flat profile. They can make look however they want to look, but then with the live signals in the room and for the stream, we were able to use 1080 signals that we could handle, um, with, you know, live shading from our, our shaders in the truck. So it was pretty cool how it all um, came together. That's very cool. So what was the division of labor in the truck for 
live in the room iMag versus broadcast stream? Is that the same person? Is it two different directors? Is it like, how's that cut happening different for the stream than what was happening for the room? Yeah, I, we get that question a lot. We've done it. Uh, we've done a bunch of different ways over the years, but we've kind of landed on this the last few years. The way that we've done it is we have two different directors. Um, I'm kind of I'm leading over the design, the months leading up to it, trying to figure out what our cameras are going to be, all that kind of stuff. And then it, once the shows, once a conference starts, I'm in the broadcast director seat. So I'm talking to all the cameras and doing the cut that you see online um, and, and through the concourse TVs, anywhere that's basically not on an IMAX surface in the actual okay. stadium. And then we have a IMAG director who the last few years just sat at front of house. Um, and that this year was Eddie Suparman, um, our friend from concept pixels. And, um, he did an awesome job. It's awesome to have him there. Someone who has a lot of touring experience, um, has worked with all the, most of these artists for sure. Um, and he was kind of leading that IMAG cut in the room, which sometimes is two or three cuts at the same time. Like, there's a few songs, right, Davis, where you would have like he would do a cut of the band and a cut of the worship leaders, and you guys would mix that together on different surfaces throughout the room. So he was managing that with his own TD in the room. I was in the the truck with with uh, with the TD and then assistant director Chelsea Gribble, our other friend, who was um, joining the team this year. And she and so all of us are talking on calm all at the same time to all the cameras, uh, 15 cameras in total or at least 15 manned cameras that um, were listening to us. Um, and that was part of Jeremy and their comm team's job is to, hey, let's take this camera party line we've got to mix it so that Rusty's voice is a little bit louder than Eddie's voice, but Eddie's in the room in front of the PA, so it's super loud in everybody's ears. And how do we you know, gain structure that or whatever so that it can be intelligible to the camera ops who are trying to uh, you know, know when they're live, basically. That's did, awesome. Did, so, you and, did you and Eddie ever get into any arguments over shots? With no. both of you going at the same time? No, no, we, don't, we don't, definitely would never fight over it. But one of the things that the comm team does is that they mute our cross points so that because if I'm directing, I, I cannot hear. I don't. I do not want to hear Eddie calling shots as I'm calling shots. That would be chaos in your brain. <laughs> That'd be confusing in your own confusing, head. Yeah, which the cameras have to listen to, but I I can't do that. So um, I can't hear Eddie when he's calling. He can't hear me when I'm calling. So. I actually have recordings of the multi-view and hoping to post some, but I would watch, I could see his cut. I just couldn't hear his cut. And I know sometimes we were on the same camera almost at the same time. Like we're both saying ready five, take five. Um, and then anyway, so it's kind of nice. We couldn't hear each other, but then that is confusing. That is hard sometimes because I need to tell him something and I can't, and I have to like change a bunch of settings on my comm panel so that I can mute the camera party line. So I can just talk to him directly and, you know, kind of crazy, but it all worked out. Well, it's it's good that you and Eddie are both such great humans because if you had a person who was just a jerk in that competing role, it could get really dicey pretty quick. I would For think sure. that's awesome. So you said 15 manned cameras and well manned cameras. What about nice. like robotics or PTZs? How many additional cameras? Yeah. So I guess just a really quick breakdown. We had four tripod cameras, um, we had four handhelds. Those were the F55s, and those were on easy rigs. Uh, we had five dollies. They were all traditional, like studio-style dollies, Chapman, Leonard's, or Fisher dollies. Uh, we had a Wildcat uh, wire cam, like you see at football games. I think it was the actual same system they'd used a few days before for the Peach Bowl. Uh, and then we had a Steadicam 
um, our friend Tony Reyes, best in the biz, um, running Steadicam. And then on top of that, we had four POV cameras for one of the creative moments um, that was like in this cool greenhouse structure. And we put each corner had a POV camera that kind of had this like grungy security feel, which was Davis's vision, which I think turned out awesome. Um, and then we had uh, we had a few like Mercedes Benz has it just a few PTZ cameras throughout the arena or the stadium. Mm-hmm. So we, we tapped into those. So we could use them for like pre-show, um, just like shots of the building, people walking in, that kind of thing. That's cool. Man, it was, I mean, the scale of it was obviously massive, but the, the look of all the shots, I think was, I don't know, to me, it was like one of the best ever in terms of being seamless. You talked about the, maybe people would find this helpful if we talked a little more about the, you had traditional broadcast cameras and the Super 35 shallow depth of field product. I felt like from where I sat, the difference between those two was almost unnoticeable. So talk for a few more minutes about how that, maybe Jeremy, you can speak into this too, just how, because most people think of those two things as a stark difference. Mm-hmm. It's like either or, because one looks one way, one looks the other way. So what went into making that bridge a little shorter and better? Yeah, I think, you know, first off, like for ideally, I'd love for them to all be the same. Like if we could have right. all had Super 35s, that'd be great. But there's budget reasons why it's not really that easy. And this lensing, lensing options when you're in a room yeah, the that far away. For some of those shots is just massive, yeah. Right. I think the distance from like front of house cameras to the A stage was probably 70 yards. Um, yeah. So a long way. So we just had to make decisions. Um, well, Rob at TNDV and the, the guys there, they were like, hey, we've done this before. We can make them match color-wise. So I like, trusted them that they could, they could do that, and they did. Congrats to them. Um, and then we just had to make decisions about where we placed them. So the front of house cameras, you had two sticks kind of in the front of house p- position, and they're, they're just so far away. It was not cost-effective to get the lensing we would need to make those Super 35. And also at that point, when you zoom in that far, your depth of field is so shallow, like good luck following Christine Kane around the stage and keep her in focus. Be impossible. Yeah. Um, so and that's going to cause distraction. So that's not our goal. So, you know, let's, let's go uh, broadcast camera in those positions because they're so far away. That's going to actually be a better experience. And that when those zoom in, they're going to feel like there's a, it's a shallow depth of field because it's such a far throw. Um, and then the other two we put on the dollies that were like farther away. So anything that was like super far away is not going to be able to capitalize on that depth of field anyway. That's where we decided to put those cameras. Um, and just like, you know, in the planning, don't ever put like a super 35 and a broadcast camera right next to each other as like, because if you're ever going to be cutting to similar shots between those two cameras, then you'll be able to tell the difference. So mix them into your wides to the areas that are, so the, the shots aren't going to be able to um, capitalize on that shot, uh, depth of field anyway. That's cool. Jeremy, anything you would add to that? Uh, no, I think it's just the, the idea of being practical, you know, yeah. and realistic. Yeah. That's good. Um, one more question, Rusty, about just the technical side of video. Um, what about latency? from you know how it's getting from the camera to 
all of what Davis is doing in terms of effects and all that processing wise, I felt like latency that most people would expect was less noticeable. And I'm sure part of that is just because of the scale of the room, like audio wise, for example, lip sync was never an issue. But part of it for me is that there's literally 220 milliseconds of delay from the main PA to where I sat at front of house. So that lip sync is a lot more forgiving in a stadium because of that. Like if yeah. you're in a church with a, a hundred feet from the stage to front of house and going through all that process, you, you know, you'd have so much latency that it might not be usable. So I don't know, just talk about latency for a few minutes. How much, how much was there? How did you compensate? What was the accommodation made for some of that? Yeah. I actually had someone ask me, um, this, uh, someone said, Hey, I loved how all the visuals looked testament to you guys, Davis. Like, how do they do that? What servers do they use? I was like, well, well, they, you know, they use disguise, they use notch, but we were in a stadium and it was super forgivable how much latency we had. Like in a, in a smaller normal church building, I don't think you could get away with what we were doing for sure. Um, I don't know if we ever actually measured it, Davis. I think, I don't, I don't think, we yeah, my guess would be, I mean, you probably could go back and watch, uh, I could go back and watch the like the messages, like during the sermons, you could see in the background, the iMag. So if you could probably do the math there and figure out what the delay was, I would say it's probably like eight frames or so would be a ballpark. Um, but yeah, to your point, Jeff, when you're, I walked back to front house at one point and just was checking the lip sync and it looked like it was almost spot on because of the distance yeah. that the sound has to travel. Right. So, um, there's just well, eight all the, frames at 30 frames a second would make sense that that much, you know, 220 milliseconds are away from the, right from the PA for me, that would make sense that it would be more lined up because that's checks you know, out, but in, in a, any closer and that's just like unmanageable. So every step along the way, you're it's just interesting, right? Out of the camera or something, yeah. hitting the truck, hitting the switcher, the router, all that stuff. And then once every time you ingest into a server, you have to have the pro the computer has to have time to buffer that frame to capture it and then process yep. it in notch and then spit it back out. LED processor has to process that into whatever it needs to do to get into the wall. So, Every step along the way is adding something, um, and you should be mindful of that. Yeah, but we didn't have to inject any delay into the PA in order to make any of that happen. So that's the point: is you know, in that massive amount of air volume and distance, it was not a non-issue. So that was cool. Cool. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll right. also say, real quick, sorry. Um, one of the awesome things about Passion Conference is that the majority of the video team, the camera team, and graphics team is all door holders and i think yeah. um that's that was the vision when the church started because the conference has already been going on the church started in 0708 right and it was like hey we want we want to build build this house and reach the city and then out of that um be able to do what we do for a college ministry and um i think i had a jonathan chehan actually texted me i was like hey i just he just felt like we've done it we've you know there are door holders who are leading out and they're um, leading in all these key areas and they're actually worshiping while they're running camera and that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's, a it's awesome that that is the case. We have to hire a few, you know, Steadicam, for example, you got to hire that because yeah. someone has to know how to do that. Or if you're flying a camera over people's heads, that's something that you want someone insured doing. <laughs> but yeah. uh, to have so many positions that are just average Joes and, um, dudes and get, you know, boys and girls who are just running camera and running graphics is, is pretty awesome. I don't think you could watch yeah. it and think that it's not professionals doing it. Totally. That's great. 
Well, last but not least in our rundown of stuff, let's get to audio. Corey, thanks for just sitting around waiting on us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking these guys have sound so smart and they're talking about frames and and servers and cameras and I just I do sound. So <laughs> it's a, it's funny to sit here and, and watch these guys. It's cool. I know. I love it. Um well, from the audio side, I'll just give a quick rundown of kind of what we had rig-wise, and then we can talk about the actual interaction of the team. So our audio provider was Rat Sound. Uh, they've been with Passion Conferences for years now and did an incredible job. Um, our system tech was Ben who from their team, who just is great, and I think had probably the best deployment of the PA in a long time. It was really good. Um, our audio leads, I mean, our, our, the audio team was, gosh, probably 20 people total. And, um, it was great, but the PA was all L acoustics products. We had our main hang was 16 K one over six K two. And it was the same for the outfills 16 K one over six K two. And then the, uh, the two seventy hangs, which were kind of off to the back of the stage were uh, comprised of two hangs of 12 K2. And then um, sub hangs were flown 12 K1 SBs on either side. And then 36 KS28s as ground subs. And then we had delay towers right behind front of house that were 4K1 over 10 K2 and then a delay ring, which was kind of around the kind of 200 level going up to the upper bowl of the stadium. There were 10 of those that were comprised of between seven and nine K2 each. So most of them were eight, but there were a couple that were seven and a couple that were nine. And then um, X15 wedges on stage when wedges were needed. So it's a lot of PA. I mean, it was a massive amount of drivers in the air, which... I mean, I think coverage wise and just tone wise, it was the best PA deployment we've had. Um, 72 channels of Axiant RF, 23 Sure P10 IM packs, 46 stereo transmits for that. Um, gosh, 70 P10R belt packs and eight P9 hardwire belt packs. So a lot of RF. RF was coordinated by Frequency Coordination Group out of Orlando. So that wasn't a rat thing. That was a separate, a separate deal coordinating the audio RF. And so between that and the comm RF and you know other wireless in the building, the RF deployment in this show was just massive. So, I mean, kudos to everybody for <laughs> the engineering that it takes, but then staying out of each other's way and coordinating without really any major problems at all. So, you know, the PA is about 325 brown boxes when you break it all down, which is a massive amount of PA. So kudos to RAT as always for continuing to partner with Passion, but also, you know, cheers to them for continuing to try to get better. Because I think, you know, it, it's easy to walk into a stadium and go, yeah, I was I was here last year with so-and-so show and this is how we did it. And so we're just going to hang it and, you know, hang it and hope. And man, every session 
the rat guys had people walking around the 300 level and the lobbies and all over the floor and all over, you know, in the, in the most obscure areas of the stadium going, okay, how can we make it better? How can we make it better? You know, there's this one dead spot. How can we fix that? And they did so that by the end, you know, even by the second day, everything was just spot on and their guys, you know, Boyo and, um, Ronnie and the other leads from the rat team were so just fastidious and diligent about making sure that every seat had a good experience in in a way that was, you know, kind of unexpected, not unexpected, but, um, really satisfying. Like passion has very high standards in terms of what they expect the experience to be. And I think rat as a partner has done a great job of meeting those expectations, which is cool. Um, all of our consoles were Digico. So we had, um, our artist consoles at front of house. We had basically two desks for artists because we had two artists per session and they were both, uh, quantum three, three eights. And then the production desk, which sat in the center of those two was an SD 1296. So the artists had their show files and their inputs on their desks and their outputs came into the production console along with speaker mics, host mics, video playback, other transitional elements, any of the late night stuff that was spoken word and all that <clears throat> came into the production console and then AES out of that console into the PA. And then monitors had two SD fives for the artist desks and then another SD 12 and then broadcast. You guys had SD fives as well, but one of those SD fives was replaced with an SD seven at broadcast. And then the production console again was SD 12. So it was basically three mirrored setups for front of house monitors and broadcast. And each of those like artist desk a was on a OptiCore loop artist desk B was on a loop and all the production consoles were on a loop. So we had three OptiCore loops. So Corey, you were on one of the broadcast desks. So I was at front of house on the production desk. You were backstage with where, really where the party was happening. So talk for a minute about broadcast world and just all the, I don't know, gymnastics that went into making all that happen in terms of transitions and artists coming in and out and, you know, playing nice with each other, but making sure that the standard was top notch for everybody. Yeah. Um, I was honored to be in broadcast this year and, um, with a bunch of guys who've done it, uh, in the past, um, Webster, Tylston, Daniel Ellis was back there, CJ, David Fabian. Um, and it really was a, a fun little room to be in. Uh, we were set up. We had all three consoles set up in a locker room that was definitely not big enough, but we <laughs> jammed it all in there. And uh, and it was awesome. Uh, so broadcast kind of worked the same way. So the two artist consoles went into the production console. And uh, CJ ran the production console the entire conference. Um, and that desk kind of acted like the mastering console for everything. So yep. he ran all the production inputs. Um, he managed all the crowd mics as well. And then the two artist desks fed into that. And we actually did the, the crowd mic combine in that console. So the artists 
the artist consoles did not have control of the crowd mics. Um, but we had a way to, to kind of toggle between listening to our mix going out and then the full stream mix that had crowds and mastered and all of that. So um, we chose to do it that way. Just uh, I think they did that last year um, because it helped the, make everything sound more cohesive going from talking to a band back to talking. Yeah. Um, Cause you were able to kind of keep the crowd mics on through those transitions. So, um, you know, there was a lot of communication in the room between the engineers to make sure that everything sounded very similar and as cohesive as we could get it. Um, but CJ did a great job with the crowd mics. I want to say we had 32 crowd mics in the, in the stadium and he did a bunch of, he delayed a bunch of stuff um, in his console to get everything to line up and then delayed the artist feeds to line up to that and then delayed everything to line up to the video feed. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it's a fun, it's, you know, it's kind of crazy uh, to, to be in broadcast cause you're, you're kind of separate from everything and um, you know, sound checks are really quick. So you, you know, for us, we recorded as much as we could of a sound check, and we were able to virtual sound check after that. Um, and you know, you kind of start start the artist, and you you hope for the best, and um, you just roll with it. And there were some really special moments that I think, uh, you know, the team captured. Uh, just the the crowd mic sounded unbelievable. Yeah. I think probably the best I've ever heard on a broadcast in a stadium um it sounded big but you could really hear people and um, i think the audience singing like their actual engagement was better than most shows i mean the, the the level at which they were singing was incredible so i mean obviously if you have something good to capture then the microphone's going to hear it well and if you know the idea about time alignment and you know, getting those mics, you know, so it's not just a smear, but making sure that they're in time with each other is such a crucial part of that. And then that that's in time with the mix and that that, you know, we talked about latency earlier in the room, latency didn't matter because of the distance. But when you're watching the camera and you're hearing straight from the head amps, there's probably a lot of latency. So the fact that he was able to delay all that, delay everything that's delayed to the video. I mean, that's where the latency issue would have come, come into play big time. So CJ, CJ did a great job. Yeah. Yeah. And we, um, I think this year, most of the crowd mics were DPA. I know, uh, Steven Aruda and Mike rentals provided a ton of the 2017s. Yeah. A 20, the, a ton of the 5100s, uh, which are the surround mics. Um, so it was fun to, you know, as the engineer, as an artist engineer, you just focus on your mix um, that's going out. And then it was fun to hear it kind of finished when you add it, once you heard all the crowd mics in it. Um, And we had a ton of fun, you know, each console back there had a waves package, but Webster and I gave super rack performer a go. So we had a couple fun VST three plugins. I know CJ was using live professor to do some mastering on his end. Um, he had a, he actually had some outboard gear. He had a, 
uh, Fatso and uh, the Clairphonic on the crowd bus. Oh, so cool. he was doing some, giving the crowd some love with that. Um, so it was a, it was a fun, it was a multi-step process to get to the finished product, but um, I thought it turned out really great and really cohesive. That's awesome. Well, from where I sat at front of house, you know, obviously all the bands had their own engineer and they all did a great job. You know, I was there managing the production desk, which kind of like CJ, I was taking all of their inputs and, you know, just making sure that that happened. But then I was also responsible for the host mics and the talking head mics during the, the talks. And so much of passion is speech that it, it's a big challenge. I mean, they're, they're on a thrust that's, you know, a couple hundred feet in front of the PA and keeping those DPA headsets under control with that, you know, trying to get as much gain before feedback in a stadium is, is a challenge, but man, those mics perform really well. And, you know, thanks to waves for providing tools that make, uh, controlling that stuff a little bit easier, but yeah, it was, it was so much fun. So let's, Let's pivot a little bit and talk about the actual experience. I mean, some of it was programming, obviously, you know, the flow and the bands and the worship leaders um, did their part to make it incredibly engaging. There were some new songs that were introduced that were really powerful and impactful. Um, but let's just kind of go around the horn and, you know, is there a is there a moment that stands out? Rusty, you know, you you were talking about a moment of maybe uh, difference of opinion or conflict between you and Davis, like how in the heat of the moment, you know, in the, in the sessions, right. Everybody has stuff that they consider a priority technically and communication wise and vision wise, but we all know how important it is to stay engaged in the moment. And so how do you, how do you manage that at an event of this scale and make sure that you are experiencing what God has for you in this moment in the same way that you would want your camera ops or your graphics ops or your lyric person to experience something from the Lord in this? You know, that that was our goal in our pre-production meetings. Before every session, we would have a production meeting and whoever was leading that meeting would reiterate, hey, don't miss what God has for you in this session. So let's talk for a few minutes about some of those moments. I'll just open it up. You guys can popcorn. I can, I can say for me personally, um, I think I kind of mentioned before that, I mean, every year, like the advance leading up to it is difficult. Like it's just, it's a lot of, um, a lot of planning, a lot of, in, in a good way, we're dealing with a budget. Like it's not an infinite budget and it shouldn't be an infinite budget. This is, this is a yeah. ministry. We're using people's resources. So we're trying to be good stewards of what we have. And um, that just causes complications and difficulties, especially as someone who's creative and who wants to do something, you know, that looks good or sounds good. So it's always kind of a, um, just a struggle to get there. Um, it's, and you know, thankfully you did it with people that you love working with Davis and Misty and all the you know, McKinsey and everybody that's, that's on the team at Passion, um, but it's a struggle. And I think for me personally, the uh, I don't know, the way I kind of think about it is the more like the more time, the more I've done stuff outside of Passion, like when we when we do creative elements for other shows, like we rehearse it a lot. You rehearse it, like we may do this one opener for three days, and you, you rehearse yeah. it so much that you're just like, I'm tired of this thing. Can we please just get it over with? And Passion is just because of the schedule, again, like we can't rent out Mercedes Benz for a week. 
that would be financially impossible um, with with what we have. So you have to work inside those constraints. And I, I know at least for me this year, being the 12th time in a row that I've experienced Passion Conference through little tiny windows of cameras, like it's, I don't ever get to be in the room. So it's, it's hard sometimes to feel that move of God when you're just like in show mode the whole time, every talk, mm -hmm. every band, every transition, I am making a hundred decisions a second trying to decide what camera to do. So it's just, it's hard. Um, and you know, so I, I remember that this year leading up to it, Loden was, you know, Loden was pretty smooth, but as we hit rehearsal day one, like we didn't rehearse anything until the day one, like show starts that night. Finally, we get bands on stage. Finally, we get to see what cameras look like, but it's actually not dark yet. The sun's still out. So I don't actually know what it's <laughs> going to look like tonight. Um, so all of those complications, and I just was feeling like really beat down and probably not in a great headspace. Not session. as relaxed as I was for not sure. Not as relaxed at all. Session one happens and it's great, but it's just like, I'm tired already. And I know I'm going to get like six hours, no, five hours of sleep tonight. I'll be right back here, do it tomorrow morning. So I remember day two waking up and, and pretty, if I'm honest, just bitter. Like, mm. and I'm sure we've all been there different times, different Easter's or Christmases, or, you know, just a random Saturday, Sunday in the summer at your church, just feeling tired, beat down. And, um, I don't know, just kind of like, it's just not feeling it this year. And then I know session, uh, I guess it'd be session five, uh, the second night we had this amazing, um, cross in the room that was actually inflatable, but uh, it was the most impressive looking structure I've ever seen in my life. Uh, how tall was this cross, Davis? 76 feet. 76 feet tall, inflatable cross that looks like it's a marble structure in the room. And Louis gives us, you know, I mean, Louis has been a pastor of mine forever. And as long as I can remember, like, just imparting truth in my life, um, even back at Passion 06 or whatever, whatever the first one that I went to, I still remember his talk about designer jeans and doing what doing something with your life that brings glory to God. It does not have to be preaching. It can be designing jeans. Um, and I, and Louis just has this way of making the cross real and making the cross feel um, like just portraying the beauty and the majesty and the truth of the cross in a way that just blows your heart up. And he did that again. And he had this amazing visual to go, to go along with it. And there was some stuff that happened like with cameras and we switched some lenses around to be able to, to be able to tell that story better that really worked well and it made me proud of what I was doing, you know, so that helps. Mm. Um, and then I remember so that just kind of like started like working in my heart. And then the next day, the last morning, well, then the late night was super fun with Brandon and Phil Wickham. That was just, just awesome. Just fun. Just worship and sing good songs. Um, and then the next morning, the last, uh, the, the last session. So day three, the morning session, um, passion band was leading worship. And uh, you may have seen this moment on social media, and I'd love to hear kind of y'all's take on it. But there was this moment where it felt like they threw the set list out the window and uh, we let a few songs, and Christian just started singing the chorus of Agnew's Day. And I, and then, like, just the stadium took it over, and the stadium started singing Agnew's Day for, I think, 19 or 20 minutes. Like, yeah, literally. It was 20 minutes. 20 minutes of um, just singing this chorus over and over and over again. And it, I've never felt a moment like that, like I, I was not in the room, I was in the video truck and just feeling like, man, God is moving in this place. It's, it's coming through the cameras into this space, this video truck, that's usually pretty sterile and kind of professional. Um, and I just remember feeling like I have this mountain of tears 
that I want to let out and like mm-hmm. in, in thankfulness and gratitude and praise, but I have to keep doing what, what God's called me to do because there's people experiencing this outside the room. I think this is something that needs to be told for years to come. Like this is like, this is our one day 99 moment on the field is what it felt yeah. like to me. Like I've heard of that moment so many times. Um, so I don't know. It was, it was, it was just powerful to, one to see God move, um, to see a generation of young, young people just kind of surrender to that and sing for 20 minutes. Um, and then to be able to kind of feel the weight of that moment. Like I need to keep doing what I'm doing so that I can keep, um, helping people experience what God's doing right now. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I mean, being in the room for that moment was, uh, I don't know. I mean, Davis, you were there. It was, it was one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced. And I've, I've experienced a lot of things. Um, you know, the, the sound of a stadium full of people singing acapella for 20 minutes spontaneously and nobody cared that it was the same thing over and over and over again. It was just, it was what needed to happen. And it was, it was an incredible expression. Um, so yeah, that, that for me was, was massive. The other thing that struck me and I I texted Davis about this when it happened, I don't remember the song, but there was one moment where Christian started leading the intro to a song and visually in the room, there was one light and you think about this massive rig and all the led and all the lighting and the blow through and all the stuff that's happening to create this sort of engaging, almost immersive experience. And then there's one light from way up on some truss that you would never know was even there shining down on Christian for a good three minutes of the song, just a single light and how compelling that was because of the way it fit the message of the song. So we talk about storytelling and how important that is, but man, Davis, I mean, (laughs) what led to that decision, first of all, and again, kudos to you for having the guts to just go, you know what, we've got all these tools and toys, but what this moment needs is a light. And we're just going to sit there and linger in this for a long time. And it was so powerful. So talk for a minute about that. Yeah, it was um, just one of those things that kind of came out of a creative meeting that is a, hey, we're just going to have Christian kind of end and he's just going to stand on the B-stage and sing this song. Um, and we tossed like, you know, do we need iMac? Because people need to see him. Do we need lyrics? on so like, what what do, what do are the essential things we needed? And like, what do we need for this moment? But having a moment where the whole rig was black and I think sitting in this like void right after the opening, which we used everything on, was this like massive contrast and created this kind of peak in emotion, I think, for people to sit in darkness and just like this like beam just to come out of nowhere. I thought um, it just it was it just kind of happened and it kind of worked in a way that was great. And then towards the middle of the set, like it just kept feeling like we got to like it's Christian, but it's also the room. And it's also these people that are starting to join him in this moment. Mm -hmm. So how do you take this single beam and then bring it into the room? But we didn't want to use the rig. So we just use the delay towers, something that was really far back in the room and just having those kind of light up created this like massive contrast in this kind of beautiful image. So it just 
kind of just feeling out those moments and hoping and believing that they'll be everything you felt like you were called to create along the way. That's cool. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's great. So Corey and Jeremy, your roles were a little different in that Corey, you were backstage in a, in a hole of a locker room. Jeremy, you were focusing on a real technical aspect and trying to troubleshoot and put out fires kind of the whole time. So was there a moment for either of you where you were able to just go, oh man, this is actually really awesome beyond my role, beyond my sort of technical thing. Like I'm, I'm able to experience this in a unique way. Um, yeah, for me, it was the, uh, the opening moment where we were just talking about, uh, with Christian, I was walking around the bowl. I was just doing my duties of like checking, making sure everybody's good. And then basically we kind of deploy out because it takes 20 minutes to go from one place to the other. So right session starts. So I, I'm, uh, walking about ready to put out fire. So I get to the elevated front of house. So front of house, it's like at the 100 level. And I was like, cool, I'm going to watch the uh, opening. And I didn't know anything about programming. And so I got to experience, that's one of the first times I've ever really not experienced. Like, usually I know what's happening, but I didn't know mm-hmm. anything. And then all of a sudden, like, we sit there and sing. The opening of Passion is just singing for, I don't know, it felt like 10 minutes with one light. I don't know, something like that. I was like, yeah. Uh, really blown away. I, I thought it's a great, simple way to make the one thing, the the main thing, the main thing, you know, yeah. and say, well, I hey, think it really kind of helped set the table for yeah. what the rest of the week was going to be about, yeah. you know, from, from beginning to end, it was yeah. all about Jesus yeah. and, and the cross, which obviously people know that's what they're coming to. Right. But to reinforce that with production, yeah. visuals music, programming, like the fact that it's not just part of the messaging that's coming from the talks, but it's actually coming from the design, coming from the people who are the creatives, coming from technicians. Like that, that to me is like the ideal picture of a production team partnering with a worship team to go, okay, what are we as a collective going to point to? Yeah through these days. And I think it was beyond other years accomplished in a, an amazing way. Yep. Corey, anything for you? No, I, I was going to talk about the opener too. Um, I wasn't doing anything and I just thought I want to go take my opportunity to experience the conference from the room. And uh, it just, I was very blown away with, and it was cool to hear Davis kind of talk about the vision of the the room and the environment and the stage because it's exactly what I felt walking around that first that first session. The room just felt different. It felt intentional and not not just we're gonna light the room and make it a color and it's gonna feel, you know, whatever. It just there was like a an emotion behind the, what you felt in there. And, uh, it was just, it was really fun and special to walk around, um, and just see the, like the joy on people's faces and the emotion on people's faces, the ups and the downs. Um, and I think there was a, it's kind of a funny moment. It's a 
it's a memory that I have of the entire conference, but um, I want to say it was between, it was after the session where, where Louie talked about the cross and I think it was the late night session. Um, there was a, the room was lit and had this look that was very, it almost felt like you were on the moon. And <laughs> I think, I don't know how else to describe it, but that's so good. Uh, even, even to like have an intentional thing in a transition between a session and a, a, a worship night, I think goes to show like the, the thought that was put in, put in on the front end. Um, and, uh, it was just, it was cool for me personally to, this is the first time I've done passion as a contractor. Um, normally I come with an artist and I'm in and out in mm-hmm. an hour and, um, and this year just felt very different and felt very special. Um, and so props to the whole team on having a vision like that and just executing it fully. Like I, I feel like from the start to finish and, and start being from the start of load in, um, like walking in and just seeing everyone doing their jobs. No one's, I mean, from my perspective, but everyone was just doing their thing and, I think everyone is able to create this really special, you know, 48 hours for everyone that was in the room and everyone that watched online. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it awesome. really cool to, to be a part awesome. of. Well, one quick shout out to the cross because people are going to ask, what was that thing? So 76 feet tall, basically inflatable fits in a road case. I mean, Amazing. So that's Airworks Inflatables from Norway, I think, somewhere in Europe. Uh, yeah, uh, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Belgium area. Belgium, yeah. yeah. Um, the incredible. Man. I mean, incredible visual. Yeah. But the way the, because it looked like it was sculpted marble. I mean, it was stunning. Just the, and it's just fabric. Like, how is this possible? But then to your point, Corey, the way it went, like that marble texture slash moon crater look went into the led and in the, the whole depth of the, of the space. It was just awesome. Well, guys, this has been a great conversation. I know that everybody's going to love hearing about the nuts and bolts of how all this came together, but more importantly, I hope that people hear, you know, the heart behind what we're trying to do with passion conference, that we really do want to draw people to Jesus, um, point to the cross and create an engaging atmosphere for that to happen. And I think this year accomplished that better than ever. And so kudos to all of you and your teams, everybody who's not on this call, who is represented as a part of this conference, all the door holders, volunteers, camera ops, graphics people, audio team, all, all the technicians that are responsible for the backbone of making an event like this come together. The army of production um, assistants. Army of assistants. Take care of us. I mean, we we had people caring for us in front of house, bringing us snacks, bringing us water, making sure we were all fueled and well hydrated. Just It's just great. So that part of it, honestly, is only getting better and better, I think, because of a team that is encouraged to just kind of be in their wheelhouse and do what they've been gifted to do and that's that's awesome that starts with you know Louie and Shelley's leadership all the way down so anyway we could talk more and more about it but 
do it again next year. How about that? What do they say? Same bat channel. You should know that reference, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, same bat channel. Not the same bat time and not the same bat place, but same bat channel. Well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you being here.